This podcast is sponsored by The Coldest Water, a company at war with hot. They believe that the coldest things are the best things in life. Built for athletes and high performers, they are famous for creating the coldest water bottles to the coldest pillow to the coldest ice packs. They have even developed the coldest dog bed and dog bowl to keep your furry friends cooler during the hotter months. Get 10% off your first order by using the code CBC at coldest.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And we are coming to you from a couple of places on the internet. We're live over on YouTube, the Tube. We're live on Crowncast, the Cast, or maybe we're coming to you later as a audio podcast. Wherever you get your audio podcasts, that is all good. Now, Justin, our third host, is off this week. He's on a hike in Hawaii, and I believe yeah, he's just living his best life. You know, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this, but I believe he made a citizen's arrest of Ezra Miller. Is that oh correct? Oh my god, dude, what are you doing? Current. It's it's a little current humor. <laughs> oh boy. Too much? Oh uh, yeah. It's, I don't know. Cool. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know much too much anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is yeah. in Hawaii, so it, it could have happened. Yeah, it could have happened. I don't know. There's all, all islands there, but I assume there's bridges between them or something like that. Now, uh, listen, uh, we usually do a little bit here at the top. We always oh, do a very boy. well-scripted bit. And I actually had one. There was one that was sent to us over email, and I figured maybe I could read it to you here on the top of the show. What do you think about that, Pete? I'm nervous. I'm very nervous. Okay. Well, this is a, I don't know if it was framed up this way, but like you remember David Letterman, the comedian from back sure. in the day, he used to host a late night TV show. Yeah. Yeah. You remember, was, that? Uh, you remember he used page. to do these top 10 lists on his show. You remember yeah. that Pete? Yes, yeah. I do. Yes. You remember that? Uh, well, this is uh Pete's top 10 drinks. Pete's Whoa. top 10 drinks via David Zika. I'm going to guess from Zika's Viral Comics, one of the Patreon supporters, but unconfirmed as of this time. There's also only nine drinks on the list. That's what I was feverishly going through before the show, but I, I figured I could read them off. That makes sense. If, if I was going to make a list of 10, I probably would do either less or more. Well, by the point you've had nine drinks, you're probably going to forget about the tenth one is what happened here. But let's kick it off with number nine, the number nine drink on Pete's Top Ten Drinks, vodka with Mountain Dew. Number eight, vodka with iced tea. Number seven, vodka with literally any beverage you have available. Number six, vodka with vodka. Number five, Vodka with a shot of fuck you guys. <laughs> a lot of cursing oh, right there at the top of the yeah, show. Yeah, Number four, this drink is worth it for the vodka alone. <laughs> well, that's great if I like that. Number three, the vodka wit, which is a vodka, a yeah. splash of cheese whiz garnished with a grilled onion. Mm, mm. Number two, the trash compactor, which is a garbage plate <laughs> blended with vodka. Oh, man. And the number one drink on the list of Pete's top 10 drinks, of which there are only nine via David Zika, is the Arrow, which is vodka with, sorry, I ran out of time and couldn't finish the list. There you go. Well Well done. done. Well done, David. 
Yeah. Great Tip list. Tip of the hat to you. Uh, thank you. And I am that predictable. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, but good list. Thank you, David, for submitting that. We appreciate it. Very fun. And we have a very fun guest for you this oh, evening that we should excited. probably bring into the stream here. I don't want to spoil it, but it's yet another David in our parade of Davids that's happening in the show. Uh, he has a new book through Zoop. There's being crowdfunded right now called Imposter Syndrome. You might also know him as the co-creator and current co-writer of Naomi, among other things. David F. Walker, hello. Welcome, welcome. How you doing? Good. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Very excited to have you here. Before we get questions about Zoop's, uh, Zoop or Imposter Syndrome and everything that you're working on now, uh, I believe Pete wanted to gush for a little bit. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, Chris Farley out a little bit. And just say, like, a uh, huge fan, thank you for all of your work. Uh, loved your Luke Cage. The uh, Sanford Green is one of my favorite artists. So when you did Power Man and Iron Fist, that was amazing. Bitter Root is just groundbreaking and legendary. And it's, it's been so enjoyable. So thank you very much. I enjoyed uh, your old school cyborg stuff. I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Thanks. That all Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, that all being said, is something like this, which is very exciting to kind of uh, to read about as someone who knows your work, is this kind of scarier because you're kind of telling a little bit more of a personal story? Um, <clears throat> you're, you're, and you're talking about imposter syndrome. Um, yeah, exactly. No, it's, you know, it's not that scary. I mean, I, I once, I almost went into the porn industry at one point. So, you okay. know, it's like nothing scares me that much. Um, I feel uh, like we need to follow up on that last thing that you brought up. Was that uh, as a writer for the porn industry? Or? Uh, like a director and an editor as much as oh, that okay. can happen. It was, um, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm glad I didn't. I think it probably would have ruined my career, my other career options, but yeah. Um, me too. I'm glad I didn't do it. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just bring up Barry Seinfeld was in porn, and then he went on to do the Adams Family movies and a bunch of other great things. So maybe you can turn There's, back time and I don't. Yeah, something. but I don't think I'm as talented as Barry Seinfeld. I think <laughs> I'm more like, um, you know, not to knock say someone like Ron Jeremy because I don't want to compare myself to Ron Jeremy either. But like, like to be the most like being the most talented porn star is like or the most talented person in the porn industry is a lot like being like you know the 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 like a third rate serial killer or something right like <laughs> if that if that serial killer nobody's ever heard of i don't i'm i'm just rambling at this point so i'll shut up to tie it back to the book i'm sure that particular serial killer would probably have a lot of imposter syndrome which is something that you're dealing with in this comic <laughs> oh, that you have on Zoom nice. right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to turn it back around. Um, you know, but to answer the the, uh, it's putting stuff out there doesn't isn't as nerve wracking as just crowdfunding in general is. Like some people okay. seem to be cut out more for it, and and I'm just uh, I, this is my fifth crowdfunding campaign, and they 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 don't get any easier. So it's it feels a lot like like algebra classes or, or, or calculus, like it never gets easier. Um, but, and, and it's just, there's, it's, it's like, it feels like you're in a popularity contest in high school all over again. Right. Oh, so man. there's, uh, I'm, there, there's that jock who's always going to get the date with the, 
with the cheerleader over me. So, um, but the, as far as putting the work out there, um, you know, the stuff that's in imposter syndrome, which is a collection of shorts, like I, I honestly think it's some of the best work I've ever done. So I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to people seeing it. Um, and, and I was just, I was having, I've been having this conversation a lot because it's, again, it's a collection of shorts. And so the thing people keep saying over and over again is, well, you know, anthologies don't do well in, in comics. And I'm like, it's not an anthology. It's a collection of shorts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, they're all written by one person. And then there's different artists. Like, what, like, what is that? Like, like, you know, I don't know. So I'm, 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 I'm realizing I don't have much patience these days. I think it's it's the pandemic that's put me there, though. So, Well, so talk about this, because I do think this is a really interesting project, like you're saying, in terms of being a collection of short stories. Did did they start out that way? Were they different ideas that you had jotted down and that ultimately you decided to put together as this collection, or did it start with the collection first? It was really kind of an interesting um, way it all came about. I'd, I'd had the opportunity to work on several shorts, this is like starting in 2018, 2019, a couple opportunities came up and, and those can be very challenging to write. Um, you know, in comics, you comics, you always have a limited amount of space to begin with, usually 20 to 24 pages. But then if you, you narrow it down to say six pages, writing a, a complete story in six pages can be really, really difficult. But I found that I really enjoyed that challenge. And, and then on top of that, you know, I did a, a short story for a DC anthology. I did one for Fair Square Comics, another one for Humanoids. I did one for um, Greg Ruck's, uh, um, uh The Old Guard. And, and I, in every instance, I got to work with artists that I normally wouldn't work with, challenge myself as a writer. And so I, like, that was going through my head right at the beginning of the pandemic, um, and so I'd, I had a couple ideas for shorts that were kicking around. I reached out to different artists. And, and the original plan had been, um, you know, get these things done in 2020 into 2021 and print up each individual short as their own mini comic. Mm-hmm. And then we, I, when we went into 2021, during the, the convention season, was going to open back up again. I'd be going to all the conventions and I'd have a collection of like six different short, smaller mini comics, right? Because mini comics only sell at conventions, like if, right. if we're going to be 100% honest. Um, but that was sort of the, the the thinking was like, okay, I'll probably do like seven or eight conventions in 2021. And, you know, I'll have these these new things and they'll be easy and people can throw them in their backpack and da 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 and then I, I don't know if you know this, but the convention season never really started in 2021 oh, because really, the, the, Why? yeah, the play Why did... continued on. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh. And so, so that part of the plan like went in the toilet, and then, but it was sitting in the toilet, right? It was sitting there, <laughs> um, and then, then there was this paper shortage, and and the cost of printing just went through the roof, mm-hmm. and so it went from sitting in the toilet to just being flushed completely down the toilet. Um, I was pricing the numbers out. This was like mid to late 2021. And it, it became clear that the cost of, of printing up, say, we'll just say five mini comics and to do say two or 300 of each comic was going to be way more expensive than doing just a single collection. 
So from there, it was just like, okay, now it's a question of, of figuring out what shorts do I have that would work in this collection? Which ones do I feel really strongly about? Um, they're, they're at least half of them need to be originals that no one's ever seen before. It was all things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and from there, it really started to come together. And I would say that this was probably, I can't, re- I, I can't tell you the exact moment I decided to go from, from doing these individual books, little mini comics to one big collection. It, but it seems to me like it had to be around October or so of last year, September or October, where it was, it was right around the time that New York Comic-Con we would have been prepping for, because that's where I really wanted to have these debut at. I, sure. I, I love New York Comic-Con and I, and I felt like it would be, a, um, you know, a, a really good move. And then of course the show didn't quite happen the way they, I think they did in New York Comic-Con last year, but I, I can't even remember. Um, and so, yeah, so then it was, so it went from one ridiculous decision to self-publish a bunch of little comics to an equally ludicrous decision of let's just collect everything into one volume. Okay. Is now, there a guiding principle behind the stories or is it really just taking them and putting together and then kind of finding the right order like an album? No, there's, there's the, like, uh, there's definitely a guiding principle, which is, um, self-hatred, depression, <laughs> uh, insecurity, neuroses, all of those sort of yeah. things. Um, and, and so I, I, I jokingly say that, but there, that actually, I didn't realize till I was looking at everything, um, as it was all coming together, that there was a sort of a running theme and, and, the, and my close friends, you know, will say, oh yeah, no, this makes perfect sense. Only you could do a collection of short <laughs> stories about like, you know, depression and, and things like that. But there's more to it than just that. But it really, um, at some point I just realized, oh, the, the shorts that I was doing were, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, really therapeutic. I mean, I think a lot of times when we do creative things, it's therapeutic to begin with. And, and it became really obvious to me as I was, um, as I, as I, I guess we'll say putting the finishing touches on things because, um, at this point, the, the the book is done, with the exception of I, and this is me sort of putting the cart before the horse. Um, I'm assuming we're going to hit the goal, and and I've committed to adding an additional story, which um, the artist I just handed him the script a couple of days ago. It's it's only um, I think it's eight pages. It's it's a it's a story. It's a true story about the time I met Will Eisner and Harlan Ellison. And how Will Eisner changed my life, and Harlan Ellison almost got me arrested. And oh so, wow, that's yeah. awesome. like a great story. Yes, no. yes, it's 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 a doozy. Um, and and it seems like anyone who's ever met Harlan Ellison or knows anything about him is never quite surprised when I tell them <laughs> the story. But it's still, it's it can be pretty shocking. Um, and and especially because the police were called on him mm. for disturbing the peace, but when they showed up. They came after me. So, wow. wow. That's well, let's talk about Zoop a little bit. We've had people who have stuff on the Zoop platform before, mm-hmm. but it does still feel relatively new for people. I think they're familiar with Kickstarter. They're familiar with Indiegogo. But for those who don't know about the platform, it's more curated. Is that correct? It's it's definitely more curated. And at this point, it's um it's all comics and comics related. 
Um, you know, right now there's a there's a campaign for a a rocketeer jigsaw puzzle. So there's there's some sort of nice. um, tangential or ancillary comics related stuff. But for the most part, everything that's been on there is comics related. There's a um, a new an- anthology that went up uh, just yesterday that I can't remember the title of it, but it's a it's a uh, like a, a benefit for uh, Ukrainian relief. And and it's an anthology, and it already hit its goal. So I don't want to hear none of this crap that people are telling me <laughs> anthologies don't sell. I, in fact, I think that and the, the the best place for anthologies is in the crowdfunding world and in at conventions. Like that's, I still yeah. think that there's and I and that's the mistake I think a lot of people make, even when they're looking at crowdfunding, is that crowdfunding is, in a lot of ways, is an alternative to the the what i guess for lack of a better term we call the mainstream comic world which involves diamond and involves you know getting into retailers and and i i there's a lot of retailers out there that i love and and i know some of them will end up buying imposter syndrome and um and they've been supportive but it's like if you don't understand as a creator if you don't understand how the market itself works you're setting yourself up for disappointment Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just mention, sorry, and then Pete, over to you for your question. But I feel like you have a pretty reasonable goal here for people who are looking at the page right now. You're at 3,880 out of 5,500, which is a lot lower and a lot more reasonable than a lot of these <laughs> crowdfunding campaigns. And you have 17 days to go. So fingers crossed. I feel like you're in good position. Yeah, it, it, you know, it may be me being you know selling myself short whatever um the reality is is that every every piece that's in there except for the new one that's being drawn by uh, my friend jim hill every like the artists and everybody have all been paid so it's it's mm-hmm. I, I i paid for it all out of pocket and i was i was prepared as i was when i was going to do these as individual mini comics I was just going to pay for them, those out of pocket. And then again, for people who haven't been really following what's going on in the, you know, the production world in terms of the cost of paper and the cost of printing, like that price has gone up so drastically that like it, it, it no longer makes sense to do it. It it used Mm -hmm. to be like, if I was going to do a small enough print run, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, I can, I can take one paycheck or two paychecks from whatever comic I'm writing for, you know, a bigger publisher and just funnel that into the cost of, um, of printing. But, um, yeah, I just don't want to do that. That sucks. So, (laughs) but I, I, you know, so that's the thing. It's, it's not really so much, I'm not looking to, um, a lot of times when you're doing the crowdfunding, what a lot of people are factoring into their budgets is, okay, how much do I owe my artists or how much do I owe this or that? And it's like, no, I, I don't owe anybody any money. I just, this is this is a budget based on a minimum print run and what shipping those would cost. So, and and that's provided the cost of printing doesn't go way up between now and say late May when we go to press. Yeah. Pete, uh, something, yeah, something I want to circle back to that you brought up uh, when you're working with artists. Uh, uh, talk a little bit about the, the the process of kind of like if you wouldn't mind giving us a little peek behind the curtain of like how you approach different projects with different artists. Like, uh, do you, uh, uh, does it change the writing or how you kind of work together with each project or how do you go about that? 
Oh yeah, everything it, it's different project to project, and and one of the cool things about this collection is there 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 are process pages for a lot of the stories. So oh, nice. some of them I I include parts of the script, um, others I I will do comparisons because I I tend to letter a lot of my own stuff, but I also and this is one of the things that I reveal in the collection. I will also letter something that I'm not going to be the final letterer on. Um, so I'll get like the, the, the pencils or the inks and, and I'll do a temp lettering pass just to make sure that my script works with what's on the page. In what's, okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so there's one of the stories that's included in there in this collection, which actually was printed somewhere else originally Um that story went through tremendous amounts of rewrites before we got to the final, the final process. Um, but each, you know, I, I sort of approach each thing, each project, each story differently. So even, even within the context of this collection, um, there's an artist I worked with on two of the stories, uh, a guy named Steve Wilhite, who is um, in fact, He's, he's not going to be watching this because he's at his day job right now, right? <laughs> so I've known Steve Wilhite forever. And right here, I was going through some stuff like this right here is like a, a sketch of his from 1988. Oh, wow. That, um, when we met probably in 87 or 88 on the, the, the local convention scene, which back then was yeah. sort of like a flea market. You know, the, those old conventions where it's just like a bunch of long boxes. And then oh, there'd yeah. be like three really nerdy guys who... <laughs> were like selling sketches. So yeah. I was one of those nerdy guys and Steve was one of those nerdy uh, guys. But we've we've remained friends for all these years. And um and I think that he's one of the best storytellers, visual storytellers, um, really heavily influenced by like Mad Magazine nice. and and Vaughn Bodie and and people like that. And and um and so uh, we finally got to work together on something and this was actually the first story that was done in was written in 2020. I gave him the script and it was a lot of, it was just me trying to process through my own depression at the time. This was really early in the pandemic. Um, and that one went so well that we started working on a couple other things. And, and our second story that's in this collection was, was written essentially Marvel style. It was me, you know, giving him a breakdown. Okay. This is, you know, I, here's what the story is about and here's, the basics of what I'd like to see on each page, you know, go for it. And, and it was, I tried to limit it to like no more than five panels to a page, but I wasn't going into great details, you know, and, um, and, and he just nailed it. And, and a lot of it was about for on, on that particular project, it was, it was Steve and I really sort of finalizing like what we're like as dance partners, because we, we do want to do something else. Um, and and so he's one of those artists where I feel like I don't have to like I, I thumbnail out a lot of stuff. I'll draw these really basic stick figure things sure. like I, I know I never have to give him any of that sort of stuff um, okay. because he's he's going to get it. Whereas um, and, and this person will kill me for saying it. Um, Sanford Green is, is I think he just does it so he can get a laugh out of it. But he's <laughs> always asking to see what my little thumbnails look like. And, <laughs> and, and with that, this goes back to our power man and iron fist days. You know, sometimes I'll write a scene that, that's fairly complicated, uh, especially like if it's a two page spread, 
Mm-hmm. And and so as I'm writing it, or even sometimes before I commit it to words, I sketch it all out first to make sure that the that the page is going to work and the panel sequences are going to work. And then from there, I'll sort of look at the diagram that I did and, and type everything up and go, okay. Um, and so Sanford is one of the few people who asks to see that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, every artist is, is it's, it's a slightly different relationship. And, and, you know, for me, it's about trying to get to know the artists that I'm working with, play to their strengths, and try to make it so that they are, it's work, but that they're having fun doing the work. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I've, I've talked to some artists in the past who, you know, they'll complain about what it's like to work with particular writers or whatever. And, I just don't ever want to be, if I can help it, I don't ever want to be that writer. But, you know, I mean, I know sometimes I'm, I'm an unpleasant dickhead to deal with. I mean, I know <laughs> there's, I can show you the, the, the string of text messages just from today between me, Chuck and Sanford over um, <laughs> some bitter root stuff where, where it was like, okay. It, it, whenever the three of us get together, it's like, it's never a question of who's going to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's always me. I'm always. The bad guy. <laughs> so then it's a question of, which one of them is going to be angry at me and which one's going to be like, you know, on my side. And, and then it's, we're never all three in agreement. So mm-hmm. yeah. I know that feeling. Uh, yeah. You, you <laughs> Pete, you can relate to being a dick and among three yeah. guys who were talking about, okay. I exactly. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Uh, let, let's talk about bitter root just because you brought that up. So yeah. that obviously is ongoing. There's a lot of stuff going on there and that story just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Do you, do you feel like that's just something that can go forever? Is there an end point in mind? Where are you guys at with that? Well, you know, we, we wrapped up last year. We put out issue 15, which wrapped up that particular story that we were telling. And and to be 100% honest, we were all sort of burned out working with each other. Mm-hmm. We needed to take a break. Um, and now we're, you know, probably around September of last year, we really started talking about, okay, what are we going to do next? So Bitterroot had just wrapped and we Mm -hmm. already started, what are we going to do next? And again, because the three of us don't get along that well or don't agree on anything, we we kept fighting and we're we're still sort of fighting. Um, But the one thing that we're all on the same page right now is that we need to be doing more Bitterroot. We don't Mm -hmm. need to create something new. We don't, there, there was a point where like Chuck and Sanford both were talking about wanting to do something potentially for Marvel or DC. And, and I had talked to DC about some stuff, uh, a couple projects that I, I thought as a team we'd be good with. Right. And, and those conversations just never went anywhere. And, you know, like I wasn't in any hurry to give my best ideas to a publisher that isn't going sure. to you know, adequately compensate me for it. So, um, so now we just sort of hit this point where it's like, okay, yeah, there's going to be more bitter root, but what's it going to be? Is it going to be um, a continuation of the story that we've already told with the family members that we introduced? Are we going to introduce all new characters? Are we going to set it in a different era? And and how are we going to format it? Because, and by format it, I mean, um, we had a conversation just last week and like Sanford was like, okay, so this, this next thing we're doing is 15 issues. Right. And I was like, no, I was like, I don't, I can't work with you guys for 15 issues. I was like five at the most. Um, And, and, 
And I said, you know, what we did before, we, we have three volumes of Bitterroot. Each one is uh, volumes one and three or five issues. And volume two is is uh, six issues. One of those being our, uh, what, the equivalent to a summer annual like they used to do back in the, the 70s and 80s. And um, but when we when you look at like the time span in between each of those arcs, it was close to a year in between all of them. And I was like, let's just do the next one we do. Let's have it be self-contained and then we can take a year off and and the retailers aren't going to be mad at us per se. The fans aren't going to be mad at us per se because they're not waiting. It's not like the end of, you know, uh, the, the second Matrix movie that ended with To Be Continued. Yeah. And then you get the conclusion and you're like, what? That like that was it. This is what I waited for. So, um, the, the good thing about the the Matrix movies was it proved that nobody wants to see movies that set that end with to be continued. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but almost a year ago this time they announced that there was going to be a Bitterroot movie with Regina King directing. Is that still in process somewhere? Yeah, it's still in process. Um, you know, everything slowed down, uh, unfortunately. At the beginning of the year, Regina King and her family were dealing with some tragic losses, and um, and and so everything was just sort of like, okay, we're just gonna allow you and your family time to grieve and and do whatever you need to do, and then we can come back to it. And and I think we're just now, late spring, early summer, going to be getting into discussions. And there's just it's you know, making comics is hard, making movies is hard too. It, I, the I don't know which is more difficult when it's comics. It's just like bitter root is like three guys fighting, right? There's three guys fighting, and then there's Shelley Bond, who's our editor, who's sort of referee, and then you throw in Hassan, our letterer. You throw in uh, Sophie, our colorist, John Jennings, who who curates the back matter. But it's essentially you know three people fighting, and then another three people that are sort of on the team, right? Um, I can't imagine making like a film that's supposed to be multi-million dollar budget. And it's like, that's like 300 people fighting. Right. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and I don't go down, you know, without like flailing. <laughs> I'm, I will bite Good for, I you. Will Good for you. So, uh, I, I sometimes think about that, but I do know that, um, you know, there we're talking to some other screenwriters and just, you know, my, my attitude is one of, I don't mind waiting as long as what we wait for is worth it. We've right. all seen movies that, you know, when, when, when you watch them, you go like, why, why did you make this? No one sets out to make a bad movie, but yeah. it can happen really quickly. It's like no one sets out to be in a shitty relationship. Right. <laughs> but, but they can go South really fast. I've, 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 I've had relationships start on a Friday and by Sunday, they're in the toilet. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you feel like uh, I, I vaguely remember, and I'm sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but uh, Ava DuVernay worked with you and consulted with you on Naomi, right? So do you feel like you're able to take that experiences working or at least providing input to that show and potentially apply it to whatever's going on with Bitterroot? So with with Naomi, I had zero. No, oh. it was it was like there was there was one meeting. It was Brian <laughs> myself had a meeting with Ava and her team. If I remember correctly, Jim Lee was there, and it was sort of us just going, 
well, you're you're making the show. Have fun. If you have any questions, give us a call. And and then oh, like there was no calls. It was it was like every couple of weeks me going, well, hey, they're checking the phone. There's no messages from Ava DuVernay here. So um I guess the show's going okay. Um it was really, you know, and I knew this even before this whole both Naomi and Bitterroot and all this these successes started happening, was that there's um you know, there's the work that you do that's essentially work for hire. So even though Brian, Jamal, and I created Naomi, um, you know, she's completely original. We created her within this shared universe. Um, and I, I knew that if anything happened with that character outside of comics, I'd be very limited in, in what I would be asked to do or, or mm -hmm. whatever. I didn't quite imagine I'd be limited to, to nothing, you know, but, um, but that's fine. And, and as opposed to bitter root, you know, Chuck Sanford and I own it. Um, we have in, in terms of the film side of things, we have uh, a partner who's actually my business partner and, and we do everything that I have going on in Hollywood, my, my business partner and I run together. Right. And, and so he was, from the very beginning with bitter root you know he was involved um when we were first over when, when we were being courted by sony um and then when legendary came into the picture um and and my business partner is, is such that like i don't want to talk to you so you you need to call him and talk to him because he's he's good at saying things like okay how much are you paying Whereas I'm, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll do it for free, you know? Um, <laughs> so, so it's in that regard, we have, you know, there's, there's more say in what's happening with Bitter Root than there ever was with Naomi. Mm. But I also, I'm of the mind that like, well, this is, you know, this is not my, this isn't my sport, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, I play baseball and you guys are doing like, hockey or something over here you know there's 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 sticks involved but they're different sticks completely and you know um and and my goal is as my career moves forward to be more hands-on involved with with some of the things that i create but there's a lot to be said there's a lot of cautionary tales if you listen behind the scenes to projects that fell apart in you know film and television in part because the comic creators overstepped their boundaries or, or, or felt like that they were entitled to do more when in reality, sometimes all people want from you as a writer is to shut up. And, and it's like, well, pay me the money and I will, I will be very, very quiet. And if not, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be like my, my former compadre, Joe Casey, who's, uh, making some noise the last few days, which deservedly so. I think I, I don't disagree with anything Joe's saying. Uh, for just real quick for those listening or watching who aren't aware of this, Joe Casey was the co-creator of America Chavez, who is in Doctor Strange 2. And like you're saying, he's been pretty public about Hey, they weren't paying me enough. They yeah. they offered me, I, I think they offered him like a little bit, and he felt like, no, you're doing this insanely multi-million dollar huge movie pay a little bit more money for this. And he's also doing it, I think, to his credit, to try to speak up for other creators in the future, because this seems to be an ongoing issue, down to, at the exact same time, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Assad Ribic's art 
is being used directly for Thor 4, for Thor yeah. Love and Thunder. And it does feel like, yeah, you're using these as direct like not just inspiration, but you're putting it directly on screen. Give give the people some money. Yeah, no, it's it's and and the, the funny thing is is like there there's money to go around. It's just some of you are really greedy, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like you you'll hear well, there's the, you know, there's the producer's pool or there's the executive producer's pool and there's only so much money in it. And it's like, well, right now you've got three people divvying up the loot. How about all three of them take less of a cut so that the people who created this thing can get paid or just go out and get more money? How about you just do that, right? This is Hollywood. Use some CGI, have, have you know, industrial light and magic, make some more money and, and just send it <laughs> over this way. So, um, you know, I, I haven't I don't know Joe very well. We've we've hung out a few times and, and worked together on some stuff, but he's he's absolutely right. And and the thing is, is that there's a lot of younger creators out there who have, you know, this their their dream, their childhood dream is to work for Marvel or work for yeah. DC. And and you think once you get there, you're like, oh my God, my childhood dream has come true. And and usually that dream smacks you in the face really hard, really quickly with unrealistic deadlines and like crazy notes and a lot of rewrites. And then your book is canceled prematurely. And then three years later, there's a Netflix show or there's a Disney Plus show. And and all of your friends are like, hey, I, I watched that. And, and there's some stuff there. That line of dialogue in episode three was right out of your comic. And it's like, yep. And 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 then they go, you know, hey, can can you loan me some money? And it's like, well, yo, bro, I was about to ask you because rent's almost due, and you know, the check ain't here yet. So, um, and I have to subscribe I, I to Disney Plus as well. Yes, because exactly. they didn't give me a free subscription or anything. <laughs> no, nothing like that. Like that's the thing. It's like, where's my free subscription? At this point, there should be a free scri- subscription to both HBO Max, which is owned by Warner Brothers, and Disney Plus, which is you know, owns Marvel. No, nothing like that. You know, so there's sometimes it I'm not going to name names, but there'll be there's some creators I'll talk to and I'll be like, hey, have you watched there's there seems to be two camps. There's the people that are like, I refuse to get Disney Plus because Marvel owes me money. And then there's the people that are like, I refuse to get HBO Max because DC owes me money. I'm right now. I'm more in the I refuse to get HBO Max (laughs) because but. That's, well, that's on that note, I, I did want to ask you, and not to put you on the spot, but uh, given it seems like you had a kind of a weird experience, have you watched Naomi at all, or does it feel too raw in terms of this is your baby on screen? Um, I've, I haven't watched all the episodes. I, I, I did watch the first few, um, and and I went in going in at, at, with everything. Like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a TV show. Brian, Jamal, and I, we made a comic, and a comic is a comic, and it's its own thing, and um, you know, let's see what they do for, you know, in, in how do they honor what we've done and, and do they make something entertaining? And, you know, I, I've watched a few episodes. I think Casey Walfel, who plays Naomi, I think she's great. Um, I, I, but I, I do, and this is, you know, I don't, there's no easy way to say this. Like I am not the demographic for this show. Right. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I remember watching like maybe the second or third episode and calling up one of my best friends who's got teenagers. And I was like, dude, do, do 
teenagers really dress like this? Because these clothes just seem ridiculous. And he was like, yeah, I know. My daughter dresses just like this. I was like, oh, my God. So um, I, it's it's difficult for me to look at it because I am so close to the material. And and it's like, oh, yeah, this isn't for me. But I, I and I but I, I want to be very clear when I say this, like I, you know, I saw the the most recent Spider-Man movie. And I, I felt that way watching that too. There were some, there were some fun stuff in it, but I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm out of this demographic. I've been out of this demographic for a really long time. Um, and, and so it's one of those, it's the reason why I don't, I, I didn't get that excited for, I mean, I think I stopped getting truly excited for any superhero sort of movies or anything. Um, I think, I think winter soldier might've been the last one that I felt like, I was I was excited about right, mm-hmm. and now it's just kind of like, and and they don't. And here's the thing: we don't they don't give us a chance to get excited because they're every other week, right? Yeah. We get one, you know. I remember when the most excited you could get was because there was a new episode of Incredible Hulk, and I was like, okay, so Bill Bixby is gonna he's gonna be this episode he's gonna be working in a car wash, um, <laughs> and the car wash owner's son is in a gang, and then the next episode. He's, you know, a park ranger, whatever the hell it was. So, Well, uh, that all said, you, uh, Brian and Jamal, are doing Naomi season two, the comic book at DC, which has been great and just really yeah, bringing her back to it. basics and pushing her forward. So I think we're two issues in, yeah. at least that we've seen out so far. Uh, what's the without getting into spoilers necessarily, what's the overall idea? Where do you want to push Naomi? Where do you want to take her? in comic book form well because i'm petty mm-hmm. and 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 full of spite um i i said let's make sure we go in a direction very different than what they're doing on tv and let's make sure we do things that they're never going to have the budget to do on tv right <laughs> um and 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 the thing is it's really interesting is that you know the show went into development and production before the second season of the comic it you know kicked in and and it's clear when you watch the show that they're going in their own direction they're doing their own thing um and and again i haven't watched every episode yet but so i don't know um how how far they're going but it's like you know naomi's got on the show she's got the you know like the scooby-doo gang or whatever the, the the riverdale gang that she hangs out with um and 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 I, I don't say that to belittle the cast because they're all doing a good job, but she ain't got that in the comics, right? Mm-hmm. And and even though in the comics we've established that she's you know officially a member of the Justice League and officially a member of Young Justice, it's like that's not a guarantee that any of those characters are going to be there to help her out in where she's going in this this second season. And you know, Brian Jamal and I talked. You know, we we knew going in, even before it's, we got the green light, that I'd said I wasn't going to work on it if, if both of them weren't there, right? And so we all sort of had this unofficial, it's not like we cut our fingers and, you know, mixed our blood together or anything like that, but we, we and we thought about it, but the Jamal's all the way in Toronto, so. It's hard to um, do that over Zoom. Is it is. Yeah. It's, and then you get the blood, it dries up oh, yeah, on the but... camera lens and it's just, <laughs> bad um but i i went into this with the you know being very clear with brian and jamal saying well you know 
this is this will be my last time working with the two of you on this character because I, I don't plan on doing more work for DC after after I'm done with this. Um, and and I can't speak for both of them. I, I don't know exactly. Well, I do know what's happening with Brian. I don't know what's really going on with Jamal. But but so we talk, so we, we the three of us were like, let's make this one count as much as we can. Let's make this be really special because one of two things is going to happen after we're gone. Either they'll hand Naomi over to other creators who will do whatever the hell they want with her, or they'll, they'll put her, you know, in a box and try to forget about her. And, and like the success of the show will ultimately dictate what happens to her on, uh, you know, in comics. Um, and, and of course there's other things that, that will factor in, but you know, the, the, when, if you're going to be honest and, and really talk about this industry for what it is, the life that Miles Morales has now over at Marvel is, you know, obviously Brian and Sarah Bocelli and then uh, Pacelli and then David Marquez did some great comics. But if it hadn't been for Into the Spider-Verse, Marvel, they were they were looking for some place to bury the body of Miles Morales for a very long time. Right. Um you know, there was some changing of the guard behind the scenes, but they, there was, like, I can tell you for a fact that there were people at Marvel at one point or another who had their fingers crossed that Into the Spider-Verse would tank because they didn't want to deal with Miles Morales, right? And and whatever their reasons were, I don't know, I don't care. Um, and and that's the thing, if, the, if that movie hadn't done well, we would not be seeing all this Miles Morales stuff that's out there right now. Um, and, and so, you know, if Naomi doesn't last beyond two seasons or so, one or two seasons, I don't know what will happen to her in comics. It'll be like, you know, I'll be 70 and I'll be getting a call and there'll be some young creator. It's like, oh, they're bringing Naomi out of, you know, <laughs> they're dusting her off just like, um, you know, what, what Mark Russell and, and, uh, Steven, I think, I think it was Steven Byrne did with the Wonder Twins, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they, a couple of years ago, they did the Wonder Twins for Wonder Comics and it was an amazing, um, you know, like so amazing. I'm convinced that the new, the live action Wonder Twins show that is being done is being done because that show or that comic yeah. was so good. So, um, yeah, there's, it's, it's not like there were, there was like 10 hardcore Wonder Twins fans that were going, God, I wish I had a live action Wonder Twins show. <laughs> That's true. Well, I, I'll just say I've been really enjoying this. I mean, the, the way that we've been talking about it, and I think we've reviewed the first two issues on our Stack podcast, but obviously the first series that you guys wrote with Naomi created the character, cemented her, pushed her forward, gave her this whole arc, and this is nothing against what Brian has been doing with her in Justice League, but character-wise, it's felt kind of even, like she's yeah. there and she's continued. And even in these first two issues, it's getting to exactly what you're saying. It's really putting her through the paces already, really pushing yeah. her forward into really interesting places. So, great. Um, kudos, and it's exciting to see where she's potentially going going forward. Yeah, it's 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 been really fun, but it's also funny because... You know, I again, I'm I'm sort of the the the, the dark lord, uh, the bitter cynical one. So so Brian sometimes has to reel me back in, and um, Jamal is more than halfway done drawing issue five, and and then issue six, which is the final issue, it's being written as we speak, and there's, you know, it, it's it's 
left to my own devices, everyone would be dead at the end, right? That, that, that'd be like my, not because I want to kill off the characters, but because I, I feel like I, I don't want anyone else touching them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Naomi deserves better. The cast deserves better. And the, the fans deserve better. And, yeah. and one of the things that I, I'm, I'm constantly keeping in mind is that my, whatever issues I may have with, the publisher and their parent organizations and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I'll be vocal about it publicly or, or somewhat vocal about it, but I'm not going to let that stop me from making the best comic I can make for, or nice. being part of a team that makes the best comics. Like okay. if, cause sometimes you can, you can, I can look at stuff and go, Oh yeah, th- these people really aren't happy right now. You know, somebody, somebody higher up the food chain screwed them over and like, I don't want to read comics that that like that read as being as spiteful and bitter as I am as a person, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's sometimes you have to work to get that out of your system. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to wherever it's going, and glad that probably Naomi isn't going to die at the end. I'm oh, just... no, she is not going to die. Yeah. She is going to be the, the like Brian and I have talked. We talked about this so much, like we really wanted her to be the most powerhouse character. Um, I think, I think that's the name they're giving her on the TV show is powerhouse. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, there was when, so there was some stuff that was ultimately was supposed to go into what's now the second arc, but some of it went into parts of justice league and young justice. But I had this whole thing where I was like, I wanted her to to knock Superman out. I wanted her to, to punch accidentally punch him, but in the process, knock him out and, and have everybody be like, Oh my God, this, this teenage girl just knocked out. Um, and knocked out Superman. And so when, when Brian was working with her in these other books, I just kept saying, please put that in there, please put that in there. And I know him well enough to know that he probably tried and somebody probably put put a stop to it because it was sort of like, oh, we can't have her be more yeah. powerful than Superman. And but that was my thing. I was like, I that's the stamp I want to leave behind. And I and I wanted it to be like 30 years down the road. She'd be like, oh, and there's that. She'd be embarrassed. It'd be that party story. They'd be at the Justice League reunion. <laughs> Superman be an old man and he'd be like, remember that time you knocked me out? And she'd be like, oh, no, don't talk about it. But didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, well, David, before we let you go, just to review, Naomi season two, as we've just been talking about, is out right now, currently running from DC. You got Bitterroot is seemingly coming back, which is awesome. Uh, and most importantly, Zoop's imposter syndrome or imposter syndrome on Zoop.gg is up right now. Anything else you want to plug before we let you go? Uh, no, you know, I just want everybody to be nice to each other. And just because we can officially stop wearing masks doesn't necessarily mean we should stop wearing them. Um, I, I really need to go to conventions for a while. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I'll be wearing masks at conventions, you know. Um, no, I, I, I have, you know, this is I've been talking about this a lot. And this is one of the things I talk to other creators about. There's this, a lot of creators get caught in the trap of if they don't have something out every month, 
Um, they're worried the fans will forget about them. They're worried the retailers will forget about them. And they, they put themselves into positions a lot of times working on things they, they don't necessarily want to or they don't have the full bandwidth to commit. I've got four projects coming out over the next two and a half years that have, haven't been revealed yet. And then two series that will probably be out before this year begins, uh, be, before this year ends. Um, none of which I can talk about, right? Which is kind of frustrating to me and it's frustrating to you. But it's like, uh, so I tell people, just keep your eyes and ears open because when the announcements come, they'll they, they'll be really exciting. Um, but, you know, it's, and I say this mostly, I guess, to, to, to fans and to readers is like, don't assume just because your favorite writer or your favorite artist isn't doing something all the time that they aren't actually doing something all the time. Right. Right. And, and, and I, I, I do believe that the, the comics industry, we're going to see a bigger shift more towards um, less towards monthly floppies. Um, and, and people have been saying that for a long time. I, I say that now looking at the cost of paper, the cost of printing, all that, I think there's going to be a shift. And, and there comes a point where it's just like, yeah, who wants to write a monthly comic? They, they, they're not, it's not as fun. A month ain't that long when you really think about it. <laughs> like trying to write a monthly book can be a pain in the ass. So um, I do have some interesting stuff coming out. There's going to be, um, I just saw the character designs for one of them. Uh, it's, that's going to be later this year. And then there's another one that's going to shock the hell out of everybody. Mm. Um, and it's, it, it is, it's a work for hire gig. It's a character that with a long legacy, um, and, and when they approached me about it, I was like, really? You want me to write this character? And they were like, yes. And I was like, you know, I'm going to fuck some shit up. That's what I said. <laughs> they were like, well, that okay, is exciting. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping that one's going to be announced within the next month or two. Because there is there, there's that kind of it's like I love to ignore the positive attention more than I love to ignore the, the negative attention. And I, I really ignore the negative stuff, but it's always, I always know when something good happened in the news to me, because there's like five key people that will start blowing up my phone. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> I haven't heard from this person in, in three years since, you know, we signed Ryan Coogler to produce black Panther. And so, yeah, it, it's all going to be good, you know, and just imposter syndrome. It's uh it's it, it'll be like hanging out with me without having to hang out with me, which I think is a good thing. So, cool. awesome. well, I've enjoyed hanging out with you so far. Yeah, thanks for hanging <laughs> Thank with you us. so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank yeah. you very Take much. Care. Take care. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Once again, the project is called Imposter Ooh. Syndrome or David F. Walker's Imposter Syndrome. It's over on zoop.gg right now. Almost funded as of this taping. 17 days left. Definitely check it out. It looks awesome. Yeah, it looks well really as... cool. And the, the pages, uh, there's a lot of different uh, levels you can get in on. Uh, there's also a tip jar just because the guy's working his butt off. So, you know, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Definitely worth checking out. And uh, it's personal. So it'll definitely be a good way to kind of hang out with them and get to know them more, as he had said. This podcast is sponsored by The Coldest Water. Get 10% off your first order by using code CBC at coldest.com. This week's episode is sponsored by the Online Warriors Podcast, a nerd culture show airing every Wednesday discussing the latest in pop culture and gaming news. 
The hosts are three best friends who met in college and started the show as a means to keep in touch, but it quickly grew into a five-year hobby with a fantastic community of listeners. Every week, they cover some of the top nerdy news stories, dissecting the news and occasionally giving some hot takes. Then, they dive into a hands-on segment where they chat about the latest games they've played, movies they've watched, and books they've read. Finally, they cap it all off with a year-long trivia competition, and every week's a new topic. Occasionally, they'll even have some guests on for an interview, including BAFTA award-winning composers, professors in game design, actors, game devs, and more. The Online Warriors podcast can be found on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and even YouTube. For all the links and latest episodes, head over to www.onlinewarriorspodcast.com. Absolutely. And now we are going to move on with our next section, which is my favorite section, because you all make it up. It is your audience questions. And for audience questions, all you got to do is drop a question over in the YouTube comments or ask a question over here on Crowdcast. See a couple of those in there already. First of all, though, Pete, check in with you based on our top 10. What's you drinking, buddy? Yeah, what you drinking? What you drinking? Well, it's vodka, you know that much, <laughs> uh, but it's also a little uh, mango juice and a little seltzer. Oh my, you paying tribute to our friend uh, Justin over in the mango capital of the world, Hawaii? Sh- sure, I don't know if it's that, but okay. I don't know. Uh, I am drinking a Tierra del Fuego, which Ooh. is a the drink that was curated this week at patreon.com slash comic book club. We have the Slack. We talk about a drink for the show every week. And this one, it is basically like a Negroni. It's Campari. It is Mezcal, tequila, and uh, also, oh my God, Ancho Rays, which is a chili liqueur, as well as a bunch of bitters in it. And it is so good. Great cocktail. And do you do you have to use one of those giant uh, ice cubes in there? Or can you just... But yeah, you got to have either a giant square or giant circular ice cube. Okay. Either right. way, otherwise it doesn't taste the same. I'm sorry, Pete. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Yes. Uh, well, why don't we move to the questions? We got one from Ben the Border Collar here. Speaking of imposter syndrome, today I interviewed a posh private liberal arts college. Is there a time when you felt like an imposter? Man, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um. Jeez, I'm trying to think of a specific. Uh, do you got one? Give me a little time. Yeah, here. also all the time. I mean, yeah. I think more people feel imposter syndrome than you think. Uh, there's a pretty famous story. I'm forgetting the specifics, but Neil Gaiman even told one where he was at a convention. I think he was winning a Nebula or something like that. And somebody was like, oh man, I'm having really severe imposter syndrome being next to you and talking to you. And he was like, I feel it with everybody here at the same time. So I think everybody feels it at all points. And frankly, if you're not feeling it, you should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, you're the on. real Ignorance imposter. is bliss. <laughs> Ignorance <laughs> is bliss, man. You know, like, uh, yeah, I definitely, uh, yeah, all, all the time. But um, I was trying to think of a very specific uh, uh, story, but mm, nothing's coming to mind. No, I think I'll tell you actually a specific story. This is the first one that comes to mind. This is a long time ago, but uh, back when I was doing sketch comedy regularly, I remember I was uh, on oh, break for something. I'll I get just to. Made me think of 
Yeah. Uh, I'll get to what I was on break from in a second, but I read an article. I saw an article pop up that this group Old English, who was performing at the same time and was sort of like peers with my sketch comedy group, had gotten a TV show that they had gotten mm-hmm. hired for a TV show. And I sat there and like I could feel my heart drop and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so bummed out. I can't believe they got that. They're like the same kind of level as us. And they're doing so much better. And then I remembered I was on set. Uh, we had gotten hired along with two other sketch comedy groups to have sketches directed by John Landis. Mm -hmm. And I was waiting off stage to go and be directed by him. (laughs) I was like, oh, actually, I guess we're doing okay, too. Yeah, you seem to be doing all right. Yeah, but there you go. But also, they're awesome, and Old English was awesome. I think back when I was doing stand-up a lot, I know that, like, when, like, big-time comedians would kind of come in or be on the same show that you were doing, um, I would always kind of, like, freak out and not know what to do. And I remember... um, there was this one show where it was like, I don't know how it happened, but it was like me, Judy gold. And then like another comedian who was like really an upper echelon. We're just kind of in a booth. And I was like, man, I don't belong here. So I would just kind of like, they would say something about the biz and I would just be like, yeah. Oh man, I know what you're talking about. You know, it just got to a point where my, the other guy just kind of looked at me and was like, I, you know, you can leave. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, but oh, uh, man. it was, uh, it, yeah, I tried to hang, but I, I made it worse every time I opened my mouth. And it was just like <laughs> one of those things. It was like, why are you doing this? Yeah, but you can't stop. You can't, you can't. stop at this point. Once you, you kind of start falling. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a question over on YouTube. Nelson Martinez says, are you guys fans of the Sin City movies, comics? I really like the first movie and interested in checking out the comics. Pete, you a Sin City fan? Well, what I love about Sin City is it's for me, you know, I mean, uh, it, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is the case for, for everybody, but it was really the first time that I saw um, uh, coloring Anyway, I tell you say saw myself on screen. No, like, saw coloring uh, uh, kind of really helped tell the story, highlight certain things. The shading uh, can do that, the tone of things, but the way they kind of like spotlight characters in, in the comic books that kind of like really draw your eye uh, to me was such a cool artistic kind of thing that I kind of was like, Oh, this is such an awesome way to do this. You're just kind of highlighting this guy's red chucks. Like that's his whole personality that makes him cool. Mm -hmm. Like it was just kind of a cool, uh, interesting way to use color that didn't make sense, but really helped with the story. And uh, I was, I was always kind of very moved by that. Um, I would say I was never a huge fan of Sin City, either the movie or the comics. I appreciate what you're saying, and I appreciate it in terms of stylistically what they were trying to do. But I remember very specifically when the movie came out, I had not read any Frank Miller stuff. And mm-hmm. so I picked up Sin City and I was like, oh, this is not my thing. This is very extreme and violent and intense yeah. and serious. And actually, I think I'd read Dark Knight Returns at that point, which I liked better. Um, But I went backwards through Frank Miller's stuff until I got to his Daredevil run. And Daredevil 
was the thing that sold me on Frank Miller. Because specifically, if you go back and read his Daredevil run, you can see him developing his style over the course of it. Like his first issue, he's drawing in very typical Marvel style with not a lot of his flourishes. And it's literally issue by issue. You can see him like pushing into that Frank Miller we know so well. So... If I would say, from my perspective, certainly check out Sin City because, like, it's a part of comic book history. But if you want to read, like, the commensurate Frank Miller, in my opinion, check out his run on Daredevil because that's legit good. And it's just impressive to see him develop over the course of that. So there you go. Uh, Edward Dory says you can see his style devolve in Sin City. I think that's probably a good way to put it, unfortunately. Kevin over here on Crowdcast says, what comic book character would you be most interested to see in a otherwise nonfiction format, e.g. a newscast or talk show? Hmm. I assume this is inspired by the news that Squirrel Girl has her own call-in talk show podcast right now. Well, I mean, that that fits the character, and that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, Um, well, it exists, so there you go. Yeah, I feel like if uh, Cypher had a talk show, that would really be annoying and very dull. Mm. You know, like listen to someone who went to Cornell speak. You know what I mean? All right, buddy. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Uh, Deadpool could probably do a good podcast. I think that would probably be yeah. good, right? Or or talk show. I would love to see him do like a Maury type talk show. You know what I mean? I'd love to see Wolverine try to do like a local newscast. Just very ill-fitting. Grunting. Yeah, ill-fitting suit. Just cat. It's very itchy yeah. clearly on him. And, and then he would get it. angry about the news and like storm off halfway through. It would be great. <laughs> Have him do the weather specifically. <laughs> Uh, All right, here's another one. This is from Edward Doherty. What superhero TV show is the best example of a TV show, not an adaptation of a comic? I'll throw one out at you. Legion, I think, is a great example of that that has almost nothing to do with the comic book. Super stylish TV show. Absolutely gorgeous to look at. Absolutely awesome. Uh, And only touches on it in a very tangential way occasionally, but completely works as a TV show. Uh, Pete, you got an answer there? Well, I want to say Doom Patrol uh, just because it's so creative and does a lot of, uh, you know, uh, interesting things as far as the TV show and genre-wise. But, uh, yeah, I feel like um, that's the good news is they're they're kind of, they're starting every kind of show that comes out now, they're trying to do different things with it. Uh, you know, with the Marvel shows pushing in different directions and with the kind of like everything doesn't have to be darker and grittier. There are different ways you can go. You can try to make things bright. You can, you can, there's just a lot of different creative things happening uh, right now, which is exciting. So there's a lot of different platforms for things. So uh, there's room for more voices and for more style. So uh, yeah. Uh, all right, why don't we move on then to Pablo Martinez's question here. What do you think of Warner Brothers Discovery wanting to do changes to DC? This was a report in, uh, I want to say, The Hollywood Reporter, but it might have been Deadline. I'm not 100% sure. But Warner Brothers and Discovery have merged, or I believe it's called an acquisition or whatever. Discovery is essentially in charge now. And they reportedly are looking at the TEC division and feel like 
It's not as strong as it could be from the film and TV perspective in particular, though it'll probably trickle down and impact comics. I think when this news came out, myself and literally everybody else, so I won't call myself special there, was like, oh, this story again? Because this happens <laughs> every single time there's a change in management. They're like, oh, we should really, really find our Kevin Feige and make it more like Marvel. And every time... From my opinion, Kevin Feige is Kevin Feige. He is a once-in-a-generation talent in terms of ushering this stuff together. Marvel and the MCU is lightning in a bottle, and you're just not going to capture it. And to be perfectly frank, this year before they started shuffling everything around and there were changes with the company, I felt like it was one of the first time in a while where I was like, great, do all these different movies that aren't connected to each other and aren't connected to the TV show. I don't have to check out all of them. There's no obligation. I probably will anyway, but like, I thought the Batman was great. Aquaman 2 would probably be stupid fun. Um, <laughs> there's uh, Shazam. I didn't like the first Shazam, but maybe I'll check out the second one. But like, Peacemaker was great. And that came off of great. Suicide Squad, which wasn't connected to really exactly anything else. So mm -hmm. like, just go in any sort of direction and it's fine. So from my mind, it's kind of a bummer that they're like, let's really bring it all in line and come up with this big plan because they've tried that three or four times and it hasn't worked. No, I think what they need to do is look at the the projects that are really doing well. And you'll notice that they're kind of their own thing. Like the Harley Quinn animated series is great because it's taking characters we've seen a thousand times and putting them a new comedy twist on them. And, and it's, that's the best Bane I've ever seen in my life. I would love to see more of that Bane. So like there's all these opportunities and all these kind of like great characters that they can do stuff with. It's just finding the right creative mm -hmm. team. And, but each thing should be its own instead of it trying to be all connected or kind of like, you know, uh, marvelized or whatever. So I think they just need to believe in the product a little bit and get the right people behind it. They're going to be all right. I think it's more about the right advertising or something behind it because I'm right there with you with the projects. Love Harley Quinn, love Doom Patrol, like we've been talking about, love a lot of these other projects, Peacemaker, etc. But what they want from the business perspective is they want Snickers ads. You, they want Snickers. full they page want, yeah. Snickers ads right half in the page, middle of half the Half page Snickers ad, left, right. You know, we got to go with that. That's a very old reference at this point. No, yeah. what they want is a billion dollars box office every time out of the gate guaranteed, like Marvel projects. That's what they want. And they're not getting that. Like, that's what they're asking for. And you can't force that. You can't inorganically force that. Like, I think the most successful DC movie at this point, if I remember correctly, is Aquaman which was a ludicrous surprise for everybody. And that's because even though I didn't like that movie, that was lightning in I think a bottle it, for people, you know? So I think the Batman did better than not, not yet. It hasn't really? surpassed it yet. Yeah, I know. Well, well pandemic times also, yeah, but, but I think, I don't know. They'll figure it out. They'll keep jamming movies down our throats until we die. That's Aquaman all. was crazy, stupid fun though. Hmm. Was it? Uh, this is from Stanley over on YouTube. Any plans for future live shows? Have you ever had live shows at cons? I think. Yeah, we sure shit did. Where were you? Huh? Okay, calm down. We were doing Lay it for years. Stanley, man. All right, listen. We've been doing tons of shows at conventions. 
back when there was conventions. And yes, we would like to be able to do those again. Um, but hey, you know, these pandemic keeps flaring up. People are, you know, I mean, <laughs> it would be great. It would be live shows. Oh man, come on. I haven't been on stage in years. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. Someday. Uh, but uh, yeah, we don't know about future live shows. But yes, we have done a lot of shows at cons. We've talked about them here on the show before, but we did stuff at New York Comic Con. We did stuff at San Diego Comic Con. We did stuff at other Comic Cons. So it's always very fun to do that. And I would love, I would love to do that in the future, but it needs to be safe. So we'll see what happens. Last question here. This is from Jolene. I think it's already finished filming, but do you think WB will say or do anything about yet more Ezra Miller issues popping up? So if you didn't read the news today, we joked about this at the beginning, but Ezra Miller was once again arrested in Hawaii. Uh, They apparently had a meeting to discuss Ezra Miller's future with WB, which affects the Fantastic Beasts movies, as well as the Flash movie that's ostensibly supposed to come out next year. To be perfectly honest with you, and, you know, I'm no media pundit or anything like that, I think they're just going to barrel ahead with the Flash and everything. It's already filmed, so it's going to come out. They just won't put him in the junkets or hope that it all blows over, you know? Yeah. Put them, excuse me. I mean, I... You know, I, I, like a lot of fans, think this is a perfect time to just slide in the TV flash and mm-hmm. act like he was there the whole time. Because Isn't that that's my flash to do anyway. to Grant Gustin, though? Grant Gustin is almost at the back door. Like, he's off doing his Yeah, dog. but he's... He's, he's doing no his firefighter great. dog movies on Netflix. And Have you seen it? No. I want to watch it. Ah, uh, I don't know. But he's off doing his own thing. He's moved on to his next thing. There's just the let the guy go. I hate it when there's a... No, the dog lives. Don't worry okay. about it. I, I just feel like... It, Jolene says, I'm pretty sure Greg Gustin would take that movie money. Of course he would. But just, like, let the guy be free. Let him move on with his life. He's done eight yeah, seasons. He's great at it. Well, I'm sorry that we want him to keep doing a job that he's great at. I mean... Uh... I guess. I don't know. I, if they... Tell you what. They got like a year until the Flash movie comes out. If they really want to reshoot all of those scenes with Grant Gustin. Just put his head. Just his head. I'm all for it, man. CG is head. They can do it with Jeff Garland on the Goldbergs. They can do the same thing with Grant Gustin (laughs) in the Flash movie. You know what I'm talking about? I don't, but all right. Wow, to an obscure a reference for you. And and that is it for your audience questions. All right, folks, we are going to move on with our next section, which is trivia. And for that, we're going to turn it over to Pete, the page. All right. This is the part where we give back to you, the lovely audience. It's an opportunity to win 25 free dollars in the form of a gift card to Midtown Comics Online. Uh, there was talk that we had somebody for this. Are we going to scrap that? We, the person who was going to do it is not here. So if anybody wants to raise their hand or say me, me, me and get $25 to Midtown Comics, just let us know in the comments here and we will bring you into the stream. Easy way to make money. If we don't get a volunteer, yeah, I'll Easy compete. way. Ooh, we got oh, Kevin with a hand up. Or oh, Michael Tillman. Two. Which one? Oh, who are you going to choose, Pete? Well, I mean, Kevin was first hand up guy and I feel like he has a puppet prepared but we haven't heard from Tillman in a while, so maybe we should go. We should let Kevin, you know, like he's done it a bunch. Like, All right, we'll bring in Kevin guy. next week, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to bring Michael in. Sorry, Kevin. 
second hand up guy changing oh, up the formula. Man, Kevin, I'm him. sorry. Unbelievable. Just, Unbelievable. Spread, Justin's share off the love. And you go rogue. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to spread the love around. I'm sorry. Hey, Michael. Hello. <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm okay. How are y'all? All good, right. Good. Uh, all right. So today's trivia is on topical comic news and a small nod to the legend Gilbert Godfrey, R.I.P. Affleck. All right, here we go. Please listen to all three options before making your selection. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Daniel Warren Johnson has a comic coming out for DC called blank. Is it A, the Jurassic League, B, Cyborg's Metal Phase, or is it C, Lita Ford? So it's either A, or you could pick B. I'm going to go, I'm going to go A. A is correct. And uh, I just found out about this and I'm very excited. (laughs) Uh, More DWJ. You know what I mean? All right, here we go. Question number two. Who is going to be the new ruler of Planet Hulk? Is it A, Loki, B, Monolith, or is it C, Jerry Stiller? So it's either A, Loki, don't pick it, or it's B, Monolith. It's Monolith, B. Yes, you are correct. Yeah, yeah. New ruler of Planet Hawk sounds exciting. Okay, last one. Who is launching nine new original comic book series? Is it A, Marvel, B, IDW, or is it C, Christy Swanson? So it's either A, Marvel, tempting but don't do it, or it's B, IDW. Or maybe C, Christy Swanson. Did we not read comic books that Christy Swanson wrote them? Sure, but she is not, you know, uh, told everybody that she's coming out with new uh, nine <laughs> original comic book series. So. I'll go with B, IDW. You are correct. All right. Congratulations. You won a free dollars. <laughs> awesome. Yes, uh, just shoot us an email at comicbookclublive at gmail.com and we will get you your $25 gift card. Now, do you have an idea for the secret movie that Pete is teasing in his third answers? Could you remind me the... the, the, the sure, I don't know Pete. how you can forget, but okay. Lita Ford, Jerry Stiller, and Christy Swanson. And of course, because we're giving a shout out to the legend Gilbert Godfrey, he's in this as well. I, I don't know this one. Uh, well, it's too bad. You should check it out. It's the 1991 hit Highway to Hell, where uh, Gilbert plays Hitler. Oh. <laughs> weird I'm, I'm weird turn at the end there. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for coming in. We appreciate it. Thanks, Have a good man. night. Yeah, take care. Great seeing you. Wow. Great, Pete. <laughs> As we all know, tomorrow is New Comic Book Day, unless you're DC Comics, in which case they're out right now. Pete, what are you looking forward to? Oh, man, there's a lot of great stuff coming out. And uh, I would just like to take this time to uh, thank you, Alex, for bringing Wolverine back into the stack so that I could say Wolverine number 20, I'm very excited about, as well as Nightwing number 91 and Cat Catwoman Lonely City number three. Hmm. I am excited for the Vampire Slayer number one from Boom Studios. That is written by, well, it's written by Sarah Gailey, who wrote the last 
vamp Buffy the Laugh is Vampire Slayer, which we liked a lot. It was like old woman Buffy, so I'm very curious to see what she does with the main continuity thing. We're going to be talking about all of those titles in our Stack podcast, which pops up Wednesday, 9 a.m. in the Comic Book Club feed and its own dedicated Stack feed. And folks, that is it for this week's show. We want to thank David F. Walker for coming on. Check out Imposter Syndrome, which is live on Zoop right now. Also, next week, we're going to have a big show for you. Nick Patera is going to be here to talk about his new project, Axe Wielder John. Also, Mark Bernardin, hot off of his stint on Late Night with Steth Myers, is finally stepping it up and coming on our show. All right. Adora and The Distance, so that should be a lot of fun couple of other things to plug on our end. The Doom Room, our Doom Patrol podcast Doom is officially going live weekly on Thursdays. But if you want access to all 34 episodes, you can do that right now. Patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, Riverdale After Dark, a Riverdale podcast is weekly right now. Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast is recapping Moon Knight. There's a new episode going up later tonight. So check that out. As mentioned, patreon.com slash comic book club. Support all these podcasts we do. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. At Comic Book Live on Twitter. Comic Book Club Live on Instagram. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, good night. Sorry, Kevin. Take care, everybody. Till next time. Justin, come back to Hawaii.